That's what Paul picks up on in his word to the, well, his student in the faith, Timothy, who is working with the Christians in Ephesus to let their light shine through their good deeds. So if you want, follow along today as I read a passage from 1 Timothy chapter 6. I invite you to do that. The words will be on the screen. You can follow along in your own Bibles or your Bible apps as well. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 and 18. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And then here's the focus verse for today. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, since we missed last Sunday, we might need just a little refresher. Today's your first time uh, with us. Uh, This month of January, we've been in a message series called Being Rich. And the message can be deceptive, the title of the message series, rather. This is not a how-to-get-rich series. This is not a prosperity theology series where if we just give more to God, we'll get a bigger house and a a better car, better paying job and all of that. And it's not a series that's designed to make us feel bad or guilty about what we have or how much we have or how much we give. It is none of those things. The purpose of this message series is to change our perspective, to change our awareness of how we live as Christian people in this world. We are called to let our light shine. We are called to be generous in good deeds. Henry Nouwen, one of my favorite writers who died ten years ago, he was a priest in the Catholic Church and devotional writer, just a wealth of, of change that he brought about this world. He says, we have to make a choice whether we want to belong to the world or to God. We have to trust God, and our basic trust, Jesus teaches, has to be in God. And then now and writes, as long as our real trust is in money and things, we cannot be true members of the kingdom of God. So I'm hoping that this series has helped us to change our perspective and to look at the things that God has blessed us with through a different set of lenses, and that we can see how truly blessed we are and how God calls us to be generous with those gifts and those, the deeds and the acts that He has called us to be all about. We've established in this series that by the world standards that we are rich. When you look at the things that we have at our disposal as we are compared to many people in the rest of the world, we are viewed as rich. But this presents a lot of challenges for us and we've said in word of review that it's more difficult for many of us in our culture to depend on God because we have so much at our disposal. We we have most of the things that we need. And we also have said that it's easier to be distracted by money and things because they promise 
happiness and security. And we know those only come from God. But that's the deceitful nature of stuff. And then we've also acknowledged that because we've been given more, that we are responsible to others in a greater way. Jesus said, to whom much is given, much is required. We've said it's okay to have wealth, but just don't let your wealth have you. Now the Sunday before winter storm Jonas came through and covered us, we took a close look at a group of Christians called the Macedonians. And Paul writes that they were mostly poor, but they gave beyond their ability. They were rich in a lot of ways. And the Apostle Paul used them as an example to help spur on the believers at Corinth to bring to completion the gift that they had promised. And we learned that we are not to trust in our riches, but in the God who richly provides. And in the passage that we just heard, Paul is writing to Timothy, who is serving churches in Ephesus. Many wealthy people had come to Christ and were part of the churches, but they had a tendency to use their old practices when it came to their wealth and to their worldly possessions. And Paul is helping to give them an antidote to the appetite for more, and that antidote is generosity. And he says, do good. Do good. Be rich in good deeds or overflow in good deeds. Be generous. And then he says, be willing to share. And the last part of that verse, willing to share, the, the verb comes from the Greek koinonikos. And some of you know where that comes from, the word koinonia. And the word koinonia in the Greek means fellowship or community. And he's saying, don't hold things to yourself. Don't hoard things. Don't keep everything to yourself. But be generous in good deeds and be willing to share. This is what it means to dwell in Christian community. We might summarize this in another way. That we are not saved by good works. We are saved for good works. Have you ever thought about that? That we are saved not by good works, but rather for good works. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. And verse 9, And not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which He has prepared in advance for us to do. That you and I are God's handiwork. That we are God's workmanship. And if we are God's handiwork or His workmanship, this says that we are a masterpiece. That God has designed us. That has na- God has named us. And that God has created us to represent Him and to do good works. To let our light shine in this world. To represent Him very well. The word that is translated handiwork or workmanship is the same Greek word where we get the word poet. So the next time you're writing a poem or reading poetry or you hear the name of a poet, may that word remind you that God is the author of your good works. When you 
share the light of Jesus Christ, that you are His workmanship, that He has authored you, that He has created you, prepared you to go out into this world to represent Him well. We do this in Jesus Christ's name. It is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit which dwells within us. And the purpose of this is to help people to see Jesus. You may be the only Jesus someone ever sees. You may be the only Bible someone ever reads. And this happens through our good works that God created us to do. We are not saved by good deeds, but we are saved for good deeds. And if that's the case, then we have to ask the purpose question. And the purpose question is, what should our good deeds do? Have you ever asked that? What should our good deeds do? Otherwise, we're just walking around trying to help people and you don't have to be a Christian to do good things, right? I mean, there are a lot of good people in this world. We do it in the name of Jesus. Our purpose should first point to God, not us. Our good deeds should point to God. That's the purpose. Matthew 14, 5.14 and 16. You are the light of the world. A town on a, built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way as you heard read, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Our good deeds should point to God and not us. John the Baptist said, as recorded in John 3.30, He must increase, but I must decrease. That people might see more and more of God and less and less of Bob Lee. More and more of Jesus, less and less of me. More and more of Jesus, less and less of me. Second, our good deeds must help others in the way they need it not in the way that I want to give it. This is one that a lot of us Christians, including myself, really struggle with. Help others in the way they need it, not in the way I want to give it. In Acts 10.38, Luke writes, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how He went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with them. Jesus went around helping people, not hurting people. Jesus met the needs of people. He sensed what their needs were, and He healed where there was a need for healing. Cast out demons where there was a need for freedom. Fed those where there was a need for hunger. You see, He helped people. He did not hurt them. How often have you heard of a group of Christians who want to do something because they like the idea, but it may not be what the people need. Locally, you've heard of some families that have had house fires. Could you imagine if we went up to somebody whose house had caught fire and they were recovering and we offered to wash their car? Now, is washing a car a good service? Sure. Might some of us need that? Sure. But not that family right then. Or if someone has had a job loss we might not want to call them and say, hey, I've got a great used couch if you'd like to have it. Or I've got an old PC that still works 
if you, you know, if you need that. That person probably didn't need an old used couch or an old slow personal computer. They may have needed some gift cards to help them make it through a tough time. They may need encouragement and prayer, and those are the ways that we can help. I'll never forget hearing a missionary who works with an orphanage in Haiti speak at the church where I formerly served, and he talked about a congregation that was so excited about uh, collecting shoes to send down to Haiti. And the missionary said, as he spoke, he says, we didn't need them to send a container of shoes to Haiti because what they don't understand is that will... um, undercut the people who make shoes there and make a living off of selling them. So a container of shoes, although well-intended, sent to this area where he served would do more harm than good. And so we step back and we say, what is the real need and how can my good deeds fulfill that real need? How can the Holy Spirit work through us to meet that real need that we help without hurting others? We always would say, and Matthew would probably echo this as you lead mission trips out of our church, that we follow the lead of local missionaries when we go and serve with them. And they will help us to know ways that we can be meeting the needs of people. Some years ago, I went to Indonesia on a mission trip, and we took a ferry to a small island off the coast of Java, and we spent two days there on that island. And as we were coming back to the ferry... There was, uh, you know, there are a lot of people who gather and sell food and trinkets and things around where you meet the ferry. And there was a family, it was a woman and her husband and some children there, and they were selling uh, little pastries and drinks. And so, being the generous American, I went up and I gave American dollars to the woman who was selling things and got the pastry and the drink. I think I gave her $15 because I wanted to do something good. And the missionary saw me, and before he could intercept that, he, he said to me after, he says, Bob, he says, I know what you did, you, you meant well, but I don't think you understand the harm that you could do because instead of working and trying to be industrious and trying to earn their own living, what you did will make them dependent on Westerners. And what happens when Westerners stop coming or don't come? Then what happens? And so that was a wake-up call for me. So we help without hurting. And then we also want to serve beyond our comfort zone. Sometimes God stretches us and says, go beyond your comfort zone. Matthew 5.41, if anyone forces you go to go one mile, go with them two miles. You know, a Roman soldier could ask a citizen to take their bags and carry that, the extra mile. And we can do the same thing. We can serve beyond our comfort zone. We can go that extra mile and glorify God. So we glorify God. We help others in the way they need it, not in the way we want to give it. And the third, we glorify God through the church, through the community of faith. I don't know about you, but I missed coming to church last Sunday. I really missed you. I, I really take to heart whenever weather comes and you might have to cancel worship services. There's something about being together 
that starts our week off in a refreshing way. And so I'm glad that we're here, that we can glorify God through His church. Let us consider how we may spur one another on, says the writer of Hebrews, on toward, good, on toward love and good deeds. That when we meet together and worship together and study together and grow together, that we can spur one another on in our good deeds. And then Acts chapter 4 tells us how when the early church started that believers were in one heart and mind and they did things together. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had with great power. The apostles command, continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons among them. Could you imagine what that would look like if there were no needy persons among us? If we shared things such that there were no needs, that the basic needs of people were met. From that time, from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales to the apostles and they distributed according to those who had need. Could you imagine what it would look like, what our community looked like, what our culture would look like? It's sad, though, that that doesn't always happen. And one of the problems is the way we do church sometimes. One of the most primary ways of doing church in Western culture and when you look at Europe and America is the clergy model of church. The clergy model. There are two basic models. The clergy model and the Ephesians 4 model. The clergy model says we will hire the ministers to do all of the ministry and we will step back and enjoy that. And we will worship and it's more entertainment rather than getting involved. The job description of the clergy is to teach and preach and visit and marry and bury and counsel and help others and put services together to stuff mailings and to plan worship services and then at the end of the year, there's an annual meeting where the clergy's evaluated and the people sort of thinking, you know, did we get our money's worth? And, and that is not a biblical model. If you study Scripture, that is not a healthy, nor does it a biblical model. The Ephesians 4 model says that the clergy, the pastor clergy, are called to equip every minister of the ch- every member of the church to be a minister. That every person is given the Holy Spirit when they receive Jesus Christ and the, the role of the pastor clergy is to help to equip the saints to do ministry to help them know their spiritual gifts and to be able to serve in the name of Jesus glorifying God as we have talked about earlier. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. So Christ Himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip to equip His people for works of service, good deeds, so that the body of Christ may be built up. I'm thankful that this is an Ephesians 4 church. When you went through the transition process, it was very clear that you did not want to be the clergy model of church. You desire to be a collaborative church where teams are working together with the staff to help equip the saints for ministry where, there is, where every member is a minister. We're not all there yet. There are some things that we can do better. But I'm thankful that that's a vision that you saw during the transition process and you said, we don't want to be that. 
We don't want just to have our staff do all the work, but rather we want to be the Ephesians for you. didn't say it that way, but that's what I interpret as I read the documentation. And I pray that we will continue to be that Ephesians 4 model of church where the pastors will come alongside and equip the saints for ministry that every member were a minister. Could you imagine how this church would change and how this community would change if every single member of HRBC caught that vision? If every member took the spiritual gift assessment? You know, that's online. Or if you're not an online person, you can call the church office and they, they can help point you to that assessment. Many have taken it, but others haven't done that yet. If you want to, you can go on our church's website and you can click under what's happening, which is right there in the middle of the website, and then you can see forms and links, and you can click on that, and it'll take you to the spiritual gifts analysis, and you can go online, or somebody can help you if you don't do online deal, and you can take that assessment, it takes 50, you know, maybe 20 minutes, 30 minutes max, and it'll give you immediate results. Mine are Pastor Shepherd, aren't you glad? Uh, showing mercy having sympathy with others, and exhortation, which has to do with preaching and such. Those are my three top gifts. And you can learn what your gifts are, and then the uh, responses will actually define them for you. And then our spiritual gifts team and our MDM team, uh, member development and mobilization team, will help you put those gifts into practice and get involved in our church and make a difference through your good deeds, allowing your light to shine. Could you imagine if there was standing room only, Philip, to pe- people who wanted to be involved in, at one, uh, in, in the, as one in our praise team? Could you imagine that? Guitar players and stuff like that. Could you imagine how uh, it would bless our worship time? So I need to wrap up. But here are some ways our congregation, there's all kinds of ways, but we have a prayer shawl ministry here. We have a healing hearts ministry for widows and widowers. There's a deacon ministry. Today, when you go to the deacon tables and get a donut, you'll talk to them about how you can be on the hospital team or the bereavement team or the new member team or the prayer team, as you heard Rachel share, or the toolkit team and other ways that you can come alongside. You don't even have to be a deacon, but you will work with them on those teams. There's a great need for people to go pick up homebound members and bring them to worship. There is a need for people to take members to their cancer treatments. You can shovel snow. And some of you did that. You can mentor a student. You can become involved in vacation Bible school. Through your giftedness, you can become in one of the most important parts of what this church does, and that's ETC, Extended Teaching Care for our little ones. And you can, you can be involved in nurturing them as you hold them and sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And those words you sing will penetrate deeply into their spirit, even as they are young babies. And it will, they will know this is a safe place, and that will help them to see that church is a safe place, and that mom and dad can drop me off there and I'm cared for, and that this ministry cares about its children. And it will make a tremendous difference. It's not just babysitting. There is a theological reason why we have people who are trained and equipped to do that kind of ministry. Because children are important to God. I could go on and on, but I will stop here. 
and invite you to pray about how God is calling you to do good deeds and allow your light to shine or His light to shine through you. Because I believe the local church is the hope of the world. The government's not the hope of the world. The social security is not the hope of the world. The model of the United Nations is not the hope of the world. The World Health Organization is not the hope of the world. They do good things. The local church is the hope of the world. And you and I are called to represent God and to go, therefore, and to make a difference in this world to the ends of the earth. This is the type of church we are called to be, the Ephesians 4 church, where all members are ministers. God has gifted each one of you with a special gift, and I pray that you will take steps of faith to discover what that is and how you might serve in this place. God has blessed us with more than we need. We are rich. We will not trust in riches, but in Him who richly provides. Because we have more, we will give more, and we will do more. In the name of Jesus. Let's bow together. Oh, Father God in heaven, thank you for this morning. Thank you that we can be back together. I have missed being with our church family over this past week because of the weather. We're very thankful that we have this place to come and assemble in your name. But we're not supposed to just stay here. Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand that each one of us has a calling, that each one of us, when we receive Jesus Christ and step through those waters of baptism, that we have a purpose and that you call us to make a difference in this church and in this community around us and in this world. Help us, Holy Spirit, to know how to do that. Help us to do good deeds, to share with others, to be generous, and to to give you all the glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name.